1: Hello and welcome, I'm Rob Lilly, and this is the Witch Shorts Podcast. As ever, we're bringing you the best articles from across Witch. This week we hear about the real impact fraudsters have on their victims and the frequent lack of action from business to bring justice to those affected. Before we get into it, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode and don't forget to check out our other podcasts too. Just search Witch Money and Witch Investigates. On to this week's episode though. To read this article, originally written by Chiara Cavalieri, I'll hand you over to Grace Witherden.
0: Year after year, statistics show that the UK is losing the battle against financial fraud. Even with many cases going unreported, fraud is the most common crime and it's climbing quickly. The latest estimates from the Crime Survey for England and Wales suggest that there were 5.2 million fraud offences in the year to December 2021, up 41% since 2019. Yet a damning Treasury Committee report published early this year said that economic crime doesn't seem to be a priority for law enforcement. It also highlighted problems with fraudulent advertising online anti-money laundering controls and increasing risks around cryptocurrency. It's too easy for criminal gangs to corrupt technology, our financial systems and the wider digital world. Tackling the problem requires coordinated action, yet banks and tech giants are fighting among themselves. As things stand, the public has limited protection, even in cases where banks have failed to stop criminals exploiting their systems. Or businesses have profited from malicious content in their platforms. When we asked victims of fraud how it all started, one in five said a fraudster gained access to their personal or financial details and made an unauthorised transfer or opened an account in their name. The rest were either contacted directly or came across the fraud online. As we found repeatedly, Scam content is rife in every corner of the internet, from phishing emails to copycat websites and phony social media profiles. Six in 10 fraud victims in our survey identified at least one website or app being involved in their fraudulent incident, with Facebook most commonly cited. Fewer than one in 10 reported the fraud to the relevant company, and four in 10 of those who did found it somewhat or very difficult. Two in ten said they were first contacted by phone. Most of these scams use number spoofing, where criminals mimic the number of a legitimate organisation to make them more convincing. Fraudsters can attack from several angles. For example, they might send a fake messages to steal sensitive information before following up with a phone call posing as a genuine company, such as a bank or the NHS or a government department. Then they're armed with enough information to make the impersonation more credible. As well as using spoofing software that generates sophisticated fake emails, texts and phone calls, fraudsters are abusing remote access software to gain entry to the victim's phones and computers. This features heavily in cases where scammers pretend to be calling from an IT or telecoms company that needs access to fix a spurious problem they then persuade victims to download the software onto their device, which the fraudster can then use to access personal information. In cases where people are tricked into transferring money to an account controlled by a criminal, known as an authorised push payment APP fraud, a voluntary industry code exists to refund them. But this only covers transfers within the UK. We regularly see cases where victims fall through the cracks because they sent money to a foreign account or to a foreign exchange or cryptocurrency wallets in their own names first. In our survey, half of those who were tricked into transferring money to a fraudster sent it to a UK bank account, but one in five sent it via a cryptocurrency website or app, one in five to a foreign bank account, and 6% via a Forex wallet. In 29% of cases, victims were notified about the fraud by their bank. But if you're the one to notice it, you should contact your bank in the first instance to see what your options are for recovering your money. It's concerning that scam victims who told us they didn't contact their bank were most likely to say they didn't think the bank would do anything about it or they felt too embarrassed to report it. Younger victims aged 18 to 24 were less likely to report the incident to their bank than victims 65 and over and only 14% of female victims of fraud reported it to the police, compared to 23% of men. Once you've contacted your bank, you should report the scam to Action Fraud. This is the Fraud and Cybercrime Reporting Centre, or Police Scotland if you live in Scotland. These reports allow the police to build a clearer picture of how victims are being targeted, but too few victims are submitting them. Only a quarter in our survey said they had contacted action fraud. Those who didn't, which was 23 percent, they said they didn't know they could report it to action fraud at all. While 17 percent, they didn't think action fraud would actually do anything about it. Tackling the UK's fraud problem requires dedicated police resources as well as improved intelligence. But we're failing on both counts. It's little wonder the UK has become a haven for financial crime when just 0.8% of the police workforce in England and Wales are focused on economic crimes. In June this year, the HM inspector of constabulary, Matt Parr, told the media that the UK must at least triple the number of fraud investigations if it has any hope of tackling the explosion of fraud. Think Tank Social Market Foundation reported recently that neither Action Fraud nor the National Fraud Intelligence Bureau, which analyzes reported fraud cases prior to investigation, can keep up with the rapidly increasing volume of fraud cases due to a lack of sufficient staff, outdated technical systems and underfunding. One glaring problem is that there is no streamlined approach to reporting or data sharing, as fraud reports are filtered through dozens of organisations. These include action fraud, local police, regulators, banks, citizens' advice, trading standards, HMRC, the Information Commissioner's Office, the third sector and businesses such as Google or internet service providers. But improvements are on the horizon. For example, National Trading Standards told which that pilot schemes are underway to roll out a multi-agency approach to fraud to create a more consistent response in terms of victim care and investigations. Action fraud is also undergoing a review with the intention of making the reporting process easier for victims and individual police forces. In the meantime, victims continue to face an uphill battle, while the various authorities scramble to stem the tide of soaring financial fraud. As you'd expect, financial losses range wildly depending on the type of fraud. For example, online shopping fraud typically involves lower amounts. The average loss was £650 in the year to December 2021, while for investment fraud, it was £24,000 according to action fraud. In our recent survey, fraud victims aged 65 plus reported losing more money than any other age group. Male victims lost slightly more than females on average, but women aged 65 and over lost twice as much as male victims of the same age. This situation reverses when we look at younger victims. The financial toll of fraud tells only half the story, as there can be long-lasting emotional and even physical consequences. 71% of victims told us their experience had a detrimental impact on their stress levels, and 39% said it had affected their physical health. It was horrific, one person told us. I lost my job because of it, and a lot of other things in my personal life went downhill. I still feel like it impacts my trust in people. Another said they felt stupid and ashamed to be scammed, which has led to bouts of depression and anxiety. People who told us they had been professionally diagnosed with a mental health problem at the time of the fraud were twice as likely to report not having enough money for essentials or falling into debt as a result of their experiences compared with victims with no mental health issues. They were also more likely to say they didn't report the fraud to their banks because it was too embarrassing, too much hassle, or they previously had a bad experience when reporting fraud to them. Even though banks and other firms should take particular care to protect vulnerable customers, our survey points to a gap in reimbursement as only 58% of victims with mental health issues got all or some of their money back, compared with 68% of victims with no diagnosis. The regulator Ofcom is cracking down on spoof phone calls and text messages. Prevention requires all phone networks and commonly impersonated brands to work together. For example, firms can add customer-facing phone numbers, such as numbers on the back of debit cards, to a block list that won't ever be used to make outbound calls to customers. But reports to which suggest criminals are finding gaps. One glaring hole in our defense against cybercrime is that online companies such as Google and Meta, the new name for Facebook, which also owns Instagram, currently bear no legal responsibility to make checks on the advertisers who make the money, which has previously found these firms are slow to remove fake adverts even after victims report them or they fail to spot repeat offenders posting new malicious content. Campaigning from which has contributed to two milestones that should benefit fraud victims. First, the government has amended the draft online safety bill to include fraud and paid for advertising. This means major social media sites and search engines will have a legal duty to prevent fraudulent adverts from appearing on their platforms. Also, the online advertising programme which will review the regulatory framework of all paid for online advertising could help to strengthen protection against fraudulent adverts, which is calling for a statutory regulator with powers to prevent such adverts appearing in the first place and to force businesses to collect and share data on scams. Second, the Draft Financial Services and Markets Bill gives the payment systems regulator powers to require all payment firms using faster payments to reimburse APP fraud victims which welcomes the draft legislation, but wants a broader range of payment methods covered. TSB is currently the only bank offering high levels of redress for victims, refunding 97% of claims under its Fraud Refund Guarantee. It claims its fraud losses are almost 20% below the industry average. Elsewhere, reimbursement is a lottery, with most APP fraud victims left to shoulder losses. Despite a voluntary commitment, under the Contingent Reimbursement Model Code from the largest banks and building societies to reimburse blameless victims. The latest annual report from the banking industry revealed that only 42% of losses to APP fraud were returned to victims. Nor has the code impacted prevention as losses increased by 39% last year to 583.2 million and the number of cases rose by 27% to 195 1996, which has warned that the code is not being implemented consistently. Complaints to the Financial Ombudsman Service about banks handling of authorised fraud more than doubled in the 2020-21 financial year. And of these, 73% were upheld in favour of the customer, so banks are getting it wrong more often than not. The government and payments regulator must learn the lessons of the failed code and put in place a system that provides clear and consistent outcomes for victims.
1: Thank you to Grace and to Chiara Cavalieri too, whose original work was published in September's issue of The Witch Money magazine. Remember, you can find more articles you'll find useful every day on everything from money and technology to home and garden advice by signing up to one of our many free email newsletters. You can do that at witch.co.uk forward slash newsletters. We'll be back next week for another episode of Witch Shorts. Thanks for listening. Witch Shorts was produced by me, Rob Lilly, while the exec producer
0: was Angus Farker.